Uh, and so there's this part of me that that fears truth, I think. I know I'm wrong. <laughs> like on anything I hold to be true, you know, the Confederate flag obviously being the example here, I, I know I'm going to be wrong. And I have been wrong so often that I get to the point where it's like, well, if I can get to the best possible view, somehow logically, emotionally, whatever, that's just going to be my truth. Hi, Internet. Welcome to Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. I'm an award-winning author, a celebrated humorist, and all-around featherless biped. This is my podcast where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big things, important things. Um, Sometimes we talk religion. Sometimes we talk politics. Sometimes we talk pop culture. Um, Anything is fair game on this show. Um, This week, I talked to one Adam Oster. Adam is an author of adventure novels, um, which you can find on Amazon. They're all self-published. Should be easy to look up. It's just Adam and then O-S-T-E-R. Adam is a Southerner living in the North, um, raised in South Carolina, currently lives just an hour north of me in Wisconsin, Early on, when he uh, first moved to Wisconsin, he was a big fan of flying the Confederate flag to proclaim his Southern heritage to us Yanks. Um, Eventually, he uh, changed his mind about it, put his Confederate flags away, and stopped defending uh, their presence over certain state capitals, particularly South Carolina. Um, So I talked a little bit with him about his changing views of what it means to be Southern and what an appropriate symbol of Southern heritage and Southern pride would be. Um, So it was a pretty interesting conversation. I hope you'll give it a listen. I'm going to go ahead and let Adam speak for himself. Um, I'm going to flip you over there right now and I will see you on the other side. Welcome to Change My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington, and this is my show where I talk to people who have changed their minds about big things. A uh, reason for that is because sometimes it's easy to doubt that people can change their minds, um, but it does happen. Um, and I want to know why it happens. So this is about 17% research project, 83% therapy for me. Um, this is my show. I'm sitting here with Adam Oster. Say hi, Adam. Hey. Adam is a health insurance business analyst, and he is the author of more than half a dozen adventure novels, which you can find on Amazon.com. Adam, you um, currently live in northern Wisconsin, which makes you my first Wisconsin guest on the show. Um, yeah, (laughs) which is interesting because, you know, I'm in, I'm here in Wisconsin. Um, you were, uh, raised in South Carolina, correct? That is correct. Formerly kind of a big fan of what is commonly referred to as the Confederate flag, um, came around on that and decided it's probably not the best symbol of Southern heritage and Southern pride. Is that an accurate 
um, summary of your change of use. Yeah, I think that that puts me in that great position where I now need to make sure everyone knows I'm not that guy. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so I I feel a little bit of a little bit of a kinship with you in that I was lived in the South briefly. I don't know if I don't know if Oklahoma counts as the South. Like everyone you ask will tell you, Oklahoma is a part of a different U.S. region. Um, I think Oklahoma considers themselves part of the South, but I think the rest of the Southeast doesn't. <laughs> it's like no region wants us. The Midwest yeah. doesn't want Oklahoma. The Southwest right. doesn't want Oklahoma. The South definitely doesn't want Oklahoma. Um, <laughs> we're like Texas's annoying younger cousin or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but um, not quite not quite Southern enough to be like Texas, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the belt buckles aren't quite large enough. Someone once asked me if um, Tulsa, which is where I lived in Oklahoma, someone once asked me if Tulsa is Midwest. And I said, it's probably more like a post-apocalyptic Austin than anything, which <laughs> I stand by. Um, but yeah, I did. Um, I lived there about 10 years before I moved to Wisconsin. So I feel a, a bit of a kinship with you. And the Confederate flag thing is definitely, it's one where I can kind of see where the fans of the symbol are coming from, even though I think they're wrong. You know, like I can see how by a certain ignorance, you could come to treasure the Confederate flag as a symbol of your heritage. Um, but um, if you dig into the history of the symbol, it's a little bit. Mm. So let's dig into that, though. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Adam? I think you covered a fair amount of my history. So, yeah, I mean, I, I actually was born in Minnesota, but I, uh, I grew up in South Carolina. So when I moved to Wisconsin, which I did as a you know 14 year old, uh, there was definitely a certain amount of um, want to present myself as, you know, this guy from the South, you know, especially living in the South. They talk all about those, uh, you know, those Yankees uh, were the cool rebels. And, uh, you know, so, you know, moving, moving so far away and into an area where things weren't necessarily that different, but things were still culturally very different. You know, I found myself wanting to uh, wanting to identify myself as that, you know, that Southern guy, which in retrospect seems really odd. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So uh, the Confederate flag, I guess, was uh, kind of that way that I saw as, you know, it's like, hey, this is this is very Southern. Um, and I, I kind of took that on as kind of my, my symbol of, Hey, I'm different than you guys. But obviously over time, I kind of rethought what that might mean, uh, as a symbol. Cause you know, growing up in the South, the, the history of the civil war, uh, is presented a little bit differently than it is in the North. Um, you know, they, Although it's mostly tongue in cheek at this point, uh, there's still a lot of uh, references to the war of northern aggression. Uh, I think I'm, I'm assuming there's still plenty of people who take that that uh, that title seriously. But when I grew up, it was always kind of a joke. Um, so, yeah, there's there's this weird culture, uh, at least down there. And I see it up here uh, in a different way uh, of just there being this massive difference between the two sides even you know 200 years later or are we at 200 we're not at 200 yet 150 uh yeah so you know it's it's kind of weird uh and so growing up down there the the concepts of the the confederate flag and the civil war itself were were definitely focused more on states rights uh which if you look at the the actual history of the civil war um that 
that concept becomes a little more shady. Uh, you, you can read the the declarations of secession coming from uh, from all the states that decided to secede, and you know, slavery is pretty much most of what they want to talk about. I think I think at best, uh, states' rights makes it to like you know forty seven percent of what they talk about in the South Carolina <laughs> Declaration of Secession, but it's always states' rights with regard to slavery, and it gets goofy because at that time, so you know, the the North and the South were were very separated at that point. Obviously, we had the great Mason-Dixon line being used as a demarcation between the slave states and the free states, and you had the you know the whatever is kind of in the middle. Um, but you know, you had you had the South who was very profitable at that point with all of their um, agricultural work, uh, obviously being built on the backs of the slaves. But then you have the North who is also profiting off that same thing through the industrialization, uh, and so you have them still needing all of that stuff from the South uh, in the same quantities that they're getting. But the South is looking at, you know, suddenly if uh, slavery is abolished, they their their profit margins are going to be cut drastically. That obviously doesn't make slavery cool by any means, but it does maybe explain a portion of the the mindset at the time. You know, today we talk about increasing minimum wage by 50 cents and everyone freaks out and they're like, we're going to we're going to die. <laughs> uh, back then we're getting rid of their free workforce altogether right. you know yeah i want to back up a little bit though um and talk talk about you some more um because that is kind of the focus of the podcast um which is you know your story and um your change of mind i want to talk about your uh, your background you were born in minnesota raised in south carolina that's quite a move um, I mean, I was born in Massachusetts and raised in Nebraska, so that's almost as crazy. But um, I want to—I want to know who—who who, who are your parents? Why were you born in Minnesota? Why'd you move to South Carolina? I'm curious. Uh, yeah, it's actually—I mean, that's—that's that's going way into history. But uh, so my <laughs> my family is part of a, a church group that's you know kind of smaller in uh, in the states. Uh, I think they've got churches in you know maybe two thirds of the states of the country. Uh, and you know, they're the, the congregations in each of those churches are maybe, you know, 30 to a hundred, uh, on mm -hmm. the, on the good side anyway. Uh, so yeah, they have a high school, a boarding high school here in Wisconsin where I live that, uh, both my parents went to. And so my dad was from at that time, North Dakota. My mom was from South Carolina uh, and so, yeah, they ended up together. My dad was a, became a pastor at that point. And so he got his call to, uh, way up North, uh, Detroit lakes, Minnesota, which is, I don't know, way in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing there. It's cold. I think <laughs> all the time, um, it's no, it's known for creepy cabins and like four people in a square mile. Uh, as far as I know, I've been there like twice since, since I lived there as a youth. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, my dad actually, kind of decided he was done with, uh, I don't know, uh, the phrasing I'm going to use poorly, but uh, he, he decided not to be in a, to have a congregation any longer. And so mm -hmm. they, they decided to move back where my mom's family was and that ended up in South Carolina. Uh, and then I made it back to Wisconsin for the same reason my parents were here in the first place. So I got sent up here for high school and, you know, lived in the dorms and caused all sorts of trouble because my parents were, you know, 1500 miles away. <laughs> so you get to, um, you get to this uh, Lutheran boarding school in Wisconsin, coming from South Carolina. You're in high school. 
probably you're surrounded by Wisconsinites or Minnesota Minnesotans. I always <laughs> the words for people from states is, are so hard. Um, so you just you want to assert your identity a little bit, and you do it the way a high schooler would do it. <laughs> is that, yeah, is I, that a fair yeah. and accurate summary? It's fairly correct. You know, I I, uh, I went to a very small I went to a very small school uh, in grade school. There was you know thirty kids from uh, from grades kindergarten through eighth grade. So like it was a small group, and I was. I was the token nerd. So I, when I was moving across the country to an entirely new school with entirely new people, I really, you know, did that thing that you do in high school where you're like, well, I'm going to reinvent myself and really kind of make myself <laughs> into something, which, you yeah. know, ended up still being that token nerd. But there were a lot more token <laughs> nerds because <laughs> people who get sent across the country or, you know, even just the state over to live not at their parents' house are probably a little off anyway. Not necessarily in a bad way, I'm going to say for myself, yeah. at least. So you put up a big Confederate flag in your dorm room or? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, I suppose back on the topic. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't, it wasn't, I don't even know if it was right away. I think after I'd been up there for a while, I was like, you know, people don't realize just how Southern I am. You know, I had the Southern accent at that point still, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, something about me just said, I need people to know that I am this guy. And so it might have even been my sophomore year in high school where uh, I picked up a Confederate flag and I put it up on the wall and I said, you know, this is me. Um, and it sat there for, you know, you know, like I'd take it down and put it back up, you know, for the different <laughs> years or whatever um, for at least a couple of years. I, I The timeline isn't something that I necessarily have memorized, but yeah, I had it up there for at least a couple of years, just proudly displayed as I am that uh, that Southern hick who's now among you Yankee <laughs> aggressors. <laughs> you started blasting Leonard Skinner really loud. Yeah, a lot of Leonard Skinner. You, know. <laughs> you get some Guns and Roses out there too, and you know all those things that just make you feel like, yeah, I'm this guy. Which is funny because I never listened to that stuff before. It was, yeah. it was. <laughs> But there was certain things, you know, Paradise City was one of those ones. I was like, yeah, because the grass is green down there and not covered in snow. Uh. <laughs> I get that, though. I do like right around the time I um, right around the time I moved to Madison, I like changed the banner on my Facebook profile to like the official flag of Tulsa, you know, just to... <laughs> right. The whole, time, so the whole time I lived in Tulsa, I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to get out of here. But <laughs> once I left, I was like, ah, oh, Tulsa, God's country, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's that's one of the really kind of goofy things about the Confederate flag for me as well, because South Carolina has a very, uh, I don't know, iconic flag. It's got the palmetto. Yeah, the uh, palm tree. Palm yeah. Tree. It's got the the moon, the crescent moon up there. It's a very, very South Carolina specific thing, whereas a Confederate mm -hmm. flag obviously is a very Civil War specific <laughs> thing and kind of all about the South in general. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think I chose the Confederate flag because of its more, you know, uh, had a certain badassery to it. I don't know if I can say assery on here, but <laughs> <laughs> now I have to check the explicit box. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a certain like bad boy uh, attribute to it that made me go, you know, like, yeah, not only am I from the South, but also I'm kind of like cool, which again, I'm a I was a rebel baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
really kind of just separates you. Yeah. Well, plus who in Wisconsin is even going to recognize the state flag of South Carolina? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's definitely not as immediate of a statement uh, in general. You know, even if you look into the historical context and what the, the, the flag is seen as a symbol of, it's just kind of a more immediate of, oh, he's one of the, those people. <laughs> All right. So, so is this a thing then? I mean, obviously you stuck around in Wisconsin. Is this a thing that continued long into adulthood for you? You just kept, you got married, settled down, bought a house, plastered it in Confederate flags or. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I keep trying to talk my wife into it and she, she's, she's, she's born and raised Wisconsin. So like she's, you know, very much the, no, you guys were the aggressors. Um, no, so, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, into the changing the mind piece, you know, I, I had it up for a couple of years. I don't think it was much at most, probably three years before, uh, you know, I moved into the new, the new dorm room for the year. And I was like, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to put it up this year. Uh, and it was kind of this, this concept, not necessarily of not feeling the need to identify myself, even though at that point, you know, I had been in the school for a while. So people knew who I was. Um, but it was just one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I don't know if I want to connect myself with that. And I don't know if even at that point, I necessarily knew what that meant. I hadn't really spent a lot of time looking into the history of the Civil War and the history of that symbol or necessarily what that might mean to people on the outside. Uh, it was just more one of those things where it's like, you know, I've, I see the other guys that have this flag, you know, on their belt buckles or, you know, on the license plate holder on their car. And they weren't necessarily the people I wanted to say I was, (laughs) you know, and so you're not even talking about necessarily overtly racist people. Just, you know, I, I do have a big truck because I lived on a farm until very recently, but you know, my, my sister actually came up here recently and she's like, is that truck yours? You don't drive a truck. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not that guy. I, I'm the guy who's going to have the little, you know, beater sedan maybe. And, uh, sure. yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I think immediately or the, the more original concept was, you know, I'm just not one of those good old boys that, uh, that, that has that going on. But at the same time, you know, around that same time, I should say, uh, the discussions of the, uh, Confederate flag over the state building in Columbia, South Carolina, mm-hmm. Uh, became a big topic. Uh, and so, you know, at that time, I was still very supportive of the idea of keeping it up there. You know, I was like, well, this is an important part of history. South Carolina, I mean, that South Carolina kind of started that whole thing. You know, it was a sense, there was a sense of pride in the secession of South Carolina, partially because at least if you look at the kind of reconstructionist uh, view, you know, the, the way we in the South might retell the story, um, it was almost like a, you know, a new version of the Revolutionary War. You know, they talked a lot about being taxed, even though actually taxes at that time were at some of the lowest they could ever be because of because of things put through by the by the Southern leaders. Uh, they talk about, um, you know, the state's rights, obviously, uh, and all these things. And it's kind of it's kind of reframed to being like, oh, these were the new the new you know sons of liberty that were going through and kind of doing it. And so I was like, you know, I get that there's this whole kind of background of slavery with it, but at the same time, I mean, it's a big deal. And I still, there's still a part of me that goes, you know, it was a big deal. Um, you know, the Confederate history is 
very interesting if you start digging in. But then at the same time, uh, there is a overwhelming amount of just we want our slaves mm. that is there. And so, um, you know, as as time went on from there, you know, I kind of started connecting the dots. So, I, I mean, I couldn't tell you a year by any means, but mm-hmm. at some point I finally went and, you know, that image just holds a lot of pain for a lot of people. And it's probably not one that we need to present. Right. Um, and I think what really got me there was actually when I learned that uh, the swastika, the, you know, the Nazi symbol of the bent cross uh, has a, it, it's a Hindu symbol. Mm. You know, it's meaning uh, what I think good luck and prosperity. You know, mm. it's a it's a symbol that within the, the Hindu Hindu religion uh, is a good one. Uh, mm. And there was uh, some business I remember seeing like in India, I think, that was using that as their their you know logo for their restaurant or whatever. And so they just had a big swastika over the <laughs> over the top of their building. And everyone's mm. like, no. And, you know, the Hindu. <laughs> And they're like, but but that that's not what this means. We're we're just like good things, uh, <laughs> and, you know. I, I looked at that. And I'm like, you can't do that. And then kind of made the connection back to my own thoughts. Yeah, I'm curious though. I want to back up to um, to high school a little bit. Um, I'm I'm curious if you ever gotten any kind of trouble with with classmates or faculty for displaying the Confederate flag. I mean, I know it's a Lutheran high school and Lutherans are typically not the most racially diverse bunch. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm no, curious if you ran into any problems. Uh, no, I don't, I don't know that anybody, you know, whether students or faculty ever even like mentioned it. I mean, maybe here and there like, Hey, look at that thing. Um, but no, it was never something I got any form of like official notice for, for sure. Hmm. Uh, and so it was, it was never, I mean, in my usage of it, you know, First of all, as you said, Lutherans are not very diverse. I think we had maybe four or five non-white students <laughs> in the school uh, over the out years. Of, out of uh, how many? Like several hundred? or? Uh, so it's a high school, college, and seminary kind of all on the same oh, grounds. Wow. And so, yeah, I mean, you're looking at maybe 300. That's, I, that is really overshooting it, though, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my graduating class for, for, my, for my high school career was, I think, 40 students so okay if i did simple math you're 200s probably probably even a little high so there weren't weren't a lot of kids there um and you know definitely not diverse and one thing i learned really quickly after moving up here is um at least western wisconsin is also not very diverse (laughs) uh you know i uh I was up here for my first year and every there was just something that felt off and i you know it's always kind of like you know I was like, well, you know, it's a new place. The culture is kind of different. People talk funny up here. Uh, hmm. And and it wasn't until I went back home and I started seeing, you know, the, the melting pot of America. And I went, oh, man, I haven't seen a non-white person in the last year. <laughs> Which is, is again, an overgeneralization. There, there is a, you know, a large Hispanic community here. There is a large uh, Hmong community here. But, like, they, they, you know, especially in the circles that I was in, you know, going to... You know, the shop co and going back to school, you know, it just, you didn't see, you didn't see much for, I, I guess Amish was like the most exotic. <laughs> we'd see. Wow. 
when Amish is exotic. That's um, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, you know, I had never seen anybody driving around in a horse and buggy or with a horse and buggy or yeah, I mean, know, the cool hats and the black vests. You know, I yeah, wasn't a thing. And I, I was like, man, why are they at Shopco? Like, they, I mean, what are they going to buy? <laughs> I don't think any of this stuff was produced in 1699. <laughs> so, um, one of these, one of the things that I like to talk about on the show um and this is uh this question comes from a premise that i personally don't really even agree with <laughs> but it's it's, Great. The quest, it's the question of like do we believe the things we believe for quote unquote logical reasons or more quote unquote emotional reasons um and i'm curious how you would how you would categorize your uh your affinity for the confederate flag is would you say that's, that's more of a emotional thing of just identifying with a place or how, how, how would you describe it? Yeah. I'd, I, I think at least with my uh, original feelings towards it, there was uh, certainly more of an emotional aspect to it. I, at the time, at least thought it was very logical, you know, uh, people, people who might have thought things like, Oh, he's a racist who likes slavery. You know, I'd be like, well, no, because of states' rights and taxes. And actually, if you look at it, and uh, Abraham Lincoln didn't even want to free the slaves. He just wanted to keep the union together. And, you know, and I could go off on these long rants with, you know, half-informed knowledge of a civil war. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of those things still hold came up true. a lot? Like, I'm, I'm curious, since you said you nobody gave you any grief for it. I mean... Uh, more, I think, with the discussions of like the Confederate flag over the state building, you know, that okay. was something where okay. people would then sure. be like, "Hey, you fly the Confederate flag? Flag? What do you think?" And I'd be like, mm -hmm. "Well, you know, it's not as bad as you might think." Um, <laughs> uh, so there was definitely an emotional aspect to my my want to keep it around, like because it is something that I think is a symbol of something that is at least a little bit more than slavery. I don't think that, especially for many of the people who uh, fought for the war that it was all about slavery for them. I think there was a lot of manipulation by the by the people who were in power at the time to say, "Hey, you you can either you know side with the North or be with us, and we'll make sure that you know you will continue to have all your rights and you won't have them taken away." And there's you know the whole concept of you know the people who are like, "Hey, uh, I want to be rich someday, so maybe <laughs> if I'm rich, then I can have slaves." Because yeah. obviously, I mean. The South was poor. They're still mm -hmm. poor in a lot of places. You know? And so these yeah. people couldn't afford people. Uh, they 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 just saw the people who could afford people, and those were the rich people. And they're like, mm -hmm. well, the rich people have this thing. I want to be rich. I think there is a certain aspect of, of that history that gets overlooked, but at the same time probably should because the symbol was created by those rich landowning whites who wanted to keep their landowning and they wanted to keep all their voting rights to themselves and wanted to just continue to manipulate how everything ran and keep all their money, obviously. I feel like in my experience with, um, you know, old South apologists, like a lot of times it comes from a place of just like wanting to be devil's advocate, like wanting to argue with people just to argue, you know, um, and maybe, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's fair or not, but like wanting to be that guy that's able to say like, um, actually, you know, there were a lot of complicated issues in the civil war, which in a sense there were like every war happens for complicated reasons. And if you, um, 
I mean, if you if you pick any any country going to war with any other country and you interviewed every single person in that country and asked, you know, why are you going to war? They'd give you like each person would give you a different answer. But at the same time, like, I don't know how you go from that to anything other than pure nihilism, you know, about like this war doesn't mean anything at all. Right. Um, like if you want to if you want to name the causes of a war, you kind of have to look at the formal declarations of war. Um, which, well, and so I guess I, I'm totally with you on the concept <laughs> that the, the, the full apologists are, you know, uh, maybe just wanting to argue, but I think, you know, at least for myself, I hate the idea that the entirety of the South, Southeastern United States has, and always will be extreme racist. Sure. Um, and so like, if you do going in that apologetic uh, concept if you do look at the at the history of it most of the most of the stuff coming from that were from the radicals uh, the, the the people who were all about the slavery they were they were not they were not the everybody uh, and actually uh, you know if you look at the history of Lincoln being elected part of the reason he was able to be elected which I think it was only like a 33 percent like I think he only got 33 percent of the vote maybe 39 uh, like Part of the reason of that was because the South was divided on who they wanted to support because they mm. had you know three different versions of racism basically. <laughs> um, you know, they had they had the the guy who's like no abolition. They had the guy who's like well we can let some states have no slaves and you know they had the other guy which I don't know. I'm making up I'm making up all of their political stances because I'm not in any way a civil war historian, but. Um, Probably actual Civil War historians are going to listen to this and grind their teeth the whole time. So. Oh yeah, you'll get all the calls, and I'll, now, now that you told them how to find me on Amazon, I'll sure, I'm sure I'll get a few. Which I'm and okay just, with because this podcast, this is a podcast where we talk about anything and everything, and I'm basically an expert in nothing, so I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I will, I will totally say that anything I say could be easily found to be incorrect, but this, this is all part of where my where my path went, I guess, you know, and so for, for me, the, the research kind of stopped at, well, I guess that is not a great symbol. Uh, and I, I, my research didn't stop, but I guess the, the intricacies of that didn't need to go much further. Uh, and there are pieces to it. And I think for myself, the, the apologetic side of me is more just, you know, the, the realization that there were a lot of slave owning racists that were running that part of the country for sure. Uh, and I, but at the same time, I question where the general populace might've been uh, outside of that and outside of the propaganda that obviously gets presented by any side. You know, you look at the North Koreans who are fighting for North Korea, you know, they, they obviously, they don't have the story. Mm. <laughs> they don't know what's going on outside of, at all. Right. And so part of the reason they're there is because they're obviously forced to through, violent means but you know another reason is because they just don't know the truth um yeah. because it's just not available to them and obviously you know in the late 1800s uh mid to late 1800s there there was no internet there was no fact checking <laughs> there was no real knowledge outside of what your neighbor might tell you or what was in the news which the news was obviously going to be run by the same people who had all the money who were going to be in power anyway <laughs> yeah i will say that I spent maybe about five minutes of my life. <laughs> and this is just a one of those random memories jostling around in my head. I have no idea what the broader context was, but probably when I was about 10, 
Um, I tried to defend the like the presence of the Confederate flag on certain Southern states flags to my mom. And this was at a time when I had only ever lived in Massachusetts and Nebraska. So I have no idea why I was defending the South, you know, but <laughs> I was like, well, that's an important part of their history, isn't it? And I think my mom said, well, yeah, but not everything, not every important part of your history belongs to the state flag. And I had, I yeah. didn't really have a response to that. It's like, I mean, the third Reich is an important part of Germany's history, but there's a reason they don't have a swastika on their flag anymore. Like not every... And if you if you look at the history of like when these symbols like the Confederate flag came to prominence, it was like it wasn't even during the Civil War. Like what we call the Confederate flag now was it was like a, a battle flag used by a couple of regiments. It was never the national flag for the country. And right. the only time the like the time that it first came to prominence was um, in the early days of, uh, of Jim Crow when Birth of a Nation was coming out and the Ku Klux Klan was having a resurgence. Um, and then most of the most of the statues of Confederate generals, again, they didn't go up like at the end of the Civil War. They went up during the Civil Rights Movement as a way of, um, you know, the government very publicly opposing the Civil Rights Movement as loudly as they could, you know. Um, so it's it's like, it's not just a symbol of history per se it's a symbol of taking a certain side in a very specific and ongoing battle yeah well i think there's a certain like i think there's a split between heritage and support right and so i think when you build a statue of something that uh is very very obviously referring to a dark period in our history you are in a way showing support um you know, I, I still at the same time, there's this piece of me that goes, but that is a part of history, you know, but, you know, so could, you know, putting up a big statue of filled gas chambers and that it's not necessarily something you want to have out there. Right. Um, yeah. And so I, I guess I think I think there's still a discussion to be had, but I think that discussion needs to be reframed with uh with with that context in mind is where does the heritage and or where is the heritage and where is the support you know, i think there's a certain i think germany in some ways might have gone too far because they're almost like if you go over there in a lot of ways it almost feels like they've stricken world war ii from history and they haven't i mean they they have you know they have a lot of world war ii museums they have the you can still go visit the wall you can uh you can uh find the spot where sophie scholl threw all the papers down to convince everybody that things could be different um but they they all but banned display of the swastika like even for artistic purposes like you couldn't like i think until just a couple of years ago you couldn't really you couldn't release like a world war ii video game in germany where you kill nazis you know <laughs> like i believe i believe wolfenstein had a few issues yeah. yeah uh and so and so yeah there's these there's this part of me that goes you know, there is a history there. And if you don't want to repeat history, obviously, you have to remember that it exists. But at, at the same time, like it happened. And I don't know, I like history, not enough to like, you know, actually be a guy who feels confident with his Civil War knowledge. <laughs> but um, I think I think there's pieces of that 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 can be sad if they're lost. And so I find myself and I this is where that emotional piece comes in, bring it back to that question you asked like 20 minutes ago, hmm. um, where it's like, I know that it's not even a logical thing. I'm like, well, but that is history. And I like, I like that 
we remember those pieces of it, even if those pieces of it are in a lot of ways kind of gross. Yeah. I mean, there's a question of like, what is remembering and what is honoring? Right. That's that heritage versus support. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like if you put up a statue of someone who fought for, (laughs) um, you know, a, a nation that was conceived specifically on slavery and white supremacy, like, putting up a statue of someone is pretty unambiguously a way of honoring them. You know, like Philadelphia has a statue of Rocky. They don't have a statue for every movie that's ever been set in Philadelphia. You know, like it's. Well, and luckily it's from the first Rocky. So then. (laughs) Yeah. There's a reason they don't have a statue of Rocky five or that robot from Rocky four. Like. Yeah, exactly. Although I liked him. I mean, he's probably the best part of that movie. (laughs) You got Dolph Lundgren from that. Come on. It's true. It's true. He's he's still great today. And And he's, you know, like, uh, he's got like a PhD (laughs) in physics or something like. Oh yeah. He's a genius. Um, yeah. So there's some, I think Rocky Rocky four is notable for being the only movie I've ever seen with a training montage that goes on for an entire hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is quite a bit of that movie for sure. Um, no, but there is, I mean, there is a sense and you know, you, you put up statues, not just for things you want to remember, but things you want to honor, you know? Um, right. And the, the memorial for um, Emma Till um, has been in the news a lot lately. Um, for, you know, Emmett Till was a, a 14 year old kid who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955. Um, and I guess there, there's a memorial for him that's been torn down by, you know, protesters like two, three times now. And they finally, they finally put up a new one and it's bulletproof now. Um, which is just, it's just crazy that they have to do that. Um, you know, and I, I mean, obviously, I have no idea, but the first place my brain goes when I hear that is, it, you know, how many of the people who have been tearing down these memorials are the same people protesting to keep the Confederate statues up, you know, because it's about remembering our history, yeah, you know, like, I think that's your first question, obviously. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, it, if it's all about, if it's really just about remembering history, we have to make choices about which parts of history we remember, don't we? And I think that's a great point. I think uh, if you if you're putting up a statue or putting up a flag or whatever, these should be of the things you, you want to remember, or you want to show as being the good parts of that. A lot of this discussion is really dumb on my behalf. Cause I, I consider myself primarily a pacifist. Like I don't like war. Sure. I, many of our wars are fought for reasons that I think are pretty stupid, which is really funny since I've spent most of this apologizing or giving reason for, uh, for the civil war to be a cool thing. <laughs> um, but like, you know, so the, the idea that, you know, I might want any statue up there for any war is kind of goofy because I don't really support most wars. Um, but at the same time, I think I think you've kind of got it there where maybe we want to find the good things from those wars that we could support instead of, you know, the things that are typically seen as not great. So obviously, Robert E. Lee, we have many statues of him. They're things that are getting taken down. He was this guy who before and after the war did a lot of good things, I believe, Uh don't fact check me, but, um, but we're putting him up there as, you know, this, this leader of, of the, of the civil war. And that's not necessarily the part of him we want to remember. And so I think, I think you've got it there where we maybe f- try to find the better things or the, maybe not even the better, obviously Emma or Emmett is a, not the better thing, but that is something we want to show support of and say, you know, never again type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think you've got a good point there. 
I'm with you. <laughs> I'm now I'm now logically changing my mind on statues all around. So. <laughs> all right. So um, yeah, we've talked a little bit about um, what led you to to question your previous view. You, you were still in high school when you when you started leaning the other way, or. Uh... I, I believe I was in high school when I stopped proudly displaying the flag. Yeah. So that would probably be when I started leaning the other way. Uh, but I was still at that point, I, I, I would say I was in college when I was still, you know, proudly saying, Hey, they should keep that flag up on top of the state building. I don't know. It was sometime before they took it down. Then I was like, you know, we don't need it there. But yeah, yeah uh, there was, it was definitely a few years there where of transitioning you know, where I was kind of like not as cool with it as I thought I was. And before I kind of went, you know, uh, I, we don't need it. <laughs> it's not serving a purpose other than, you know, it's gonna, it's going to offend people, mm-hmm. right? Like the people who support it, they obviously already always remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people who don't support it, that's just reminding them of a period of our history and saying, Hey, we support this period of our history where, whether or not it was all of it, a large portion of it still was about the oppression of well, specifically black people. Obviously, other groups also suffered. All right. So the cynic in me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to push against this a little bit um, just because the, the cynic in me is saying, well, OK, at, you know, at that point you've lived you've lived in in the north, like in the, the far north <laughs> for however many years, four or five, six, seven years or whatever. Um, sure. Less than 10. Less than 10. Yeah. I mean, but part of me is like, well, of course you at some point gave in on the Confederate flag because you were surrounded by people who were poised to reward you <laughs> for giving up on the Confederate flag. You know what I mean? Like um, there's, you know, I, and I don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if that's fair or not. What? What? Do, how would you respond to that? I, I'm obviously. I don't think anybody can be fully aware of all of the external uh, items that might influence their decision. Uh, there are a surprisingly large amount of people, at least in Western Wisconsin, who display the Confederate flag. I mean, it's not like a huge, huge number of people, but it's way more than I would have expected. Mm-hmm. And I started noticing that soon after I came up here and started displaying my own flag. I was like. Well, I wonder if he's from the South, like me, and they, and they aren't. Like a lot of them, you know, they are they are just from here, uh, and so you know, obviously, though, that starts to lead questions as to why are they displaying that flag though? <laughs> like I have my reasons, but why does that guy who's telling me he's been he's lived here his whole life? Why does he have it? I mean, the same reason Kanye plastered it all over his clothing line, right? <laughs> Right. Well, you you just kind of go, why? And so then, you know, when you bring yourself to kind of question those decisions, you come to certain hypotheses, we'll say, as far as to why they why they have that on display. And when you develop that, you start, quickly start to realize that that's the same kind of thinking that people might have about you. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, there might be, you know, people who maybe, I don't know, would be nicer to me if I... <laughs> said, oh, Confederate flags is the worst, um, which I still don't necessarily say. Uh, <laughs> but like, uh, I, th- I think I think it really kind of it came slowly. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't something where like, you know, my wife is like, oh, I can't believe you like that thing. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, no, I don't like that thing. Uh, <laughs> let's keep dating. Um, <laughs> 
now music choices so she'll she'll judge me entirely for uh that and i think i was mostly changed over by that point anyway but um yeah i i don't know i i won't say that there weren't uh external influences that would have brought me there as far as you know making me feel like i should because they expected of me uh, as much as it was i think the transition was a, a bit more internal and logical um there was there's there's an emotional piece to it but I think it was more just like, you know, this thing isn't as good as I want it to be. I definitely know a guy. This is this has nothing to do with anything, so I'll probably edit it out. But um, <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure to say something very profound, so you have to keep. All right, it. good. I, I was just say, I, <laughs> I definitely know a guy who like went camping with his family somewhere in central Wisconsin and somehow got stuck right next to a campsite of people that were like flying the Confederate flag and blasting Leonard Skinner all night long. Anyway, <laughs> that's the whole story. <laughs> well, well, and so that story, I think, I think everyone then who all of your dozens of listeners are, uh, I hear that and they immediately have an image of that family. Right. Oh, here's my profound thing. Right. Um, so they, they, they can go, well, yeah. So they're in the middle of Wisconsin in the middle of the woods and really wanting to say, I am wholeheartedly, of these people and it, it picks it paints a picture that whether whether or not it's true that picture's still there <laughs> and the question, you know, the question you, for you me see. is like why do the people in the campsite next to you need to know who you are like why is that even important <laughs> what do you expect them to well do i don't even and it might not be as much as needing to you know it might not be as much as saying like this is who i am to other people as maybe just trying to say it to yourself sure you know, these are, it's just, you know, we, we wear clothes most of the time, even when we're not seeing people, or at least I try to, <laughs> and you know, it's still my style that I try to present even when I'm at the house and nobody's seeing me, like when we're talking on a podcast. Um, you know, so like there, there's a portion of ourselves that we want to present possibly even just to ourselves and kind of reinforce that image we have of ourselves. Uh, that I think might be there. You know, not many people saw my Confederate flag that I had hanging up in the door. I didn't have it in the window. It was, you know, on a wall. So there was, you know, a handful of people who might see it on any given basis. Uh, and it was just that reminder, maybe more for myself to be like, yeah, that's, that's who I am. I'm from the yeah. South. I am that guy. It's a self-affirmation just, you know, through imagery and music, I guess. Sure. Okay, on that note, um, how has your life changed since your beliefs changed? I don't know that it's necessarily changed my life other than maybe it's changed how I might view other similar things. Mm. So I put, I, I put myself a lot of times in the place of my younger self when looking at things happening in the news or you know in my local circles uh, where you kind of see these kids, especially today, who are connected to those pieces and um, you kind of wonder where they're at, mm. you know, how, how they got there, whether it's just that, that herd mentality, or if they have a misconstrued image of the truth, or if they really are, you know, these, the, the younger versions of the, the clan that are, you know, really just trying to hang on, um, you know, and so I, I guess maybe, and I, I guess I've always kind of, felt that I've been this way, but, uh, it's put me to try to be less of an immediately judging person. Mm -hmm. Um, because I realized that, you know, I was in a place where the immediate judgment of me would have been at least in my opinion at that time, far mm -hmm. wrong. You know, I had black friends mm -hmm. then. Um, 
as they as they like to say to prove you're not racist yeah (laughs) um right yeah yeah oh yeah i know this black guy and he's like cool he lives down the road i talked to him once (laughs) um yeah so that that whole concept of of you know how we present ourselves may appear differently to ourselves than it does to other people uh even you know the 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 lightly off-color joke we know we're like oh it's harmless because it's only you know it's only a little wrong um you know somebody else might take that and be like oh man that guy is the worst (laughs) yeah there there are all these little things that we do that whether or not they are reality they imply reality Mm -hmm. yeah well it's it's hard to know at any given moment how ironic someone is being right like especially if you're not if you're if it's not someone you know right like you could be flying the flag because you really are committed to like the Southern lost cause or whatever. You could be flying the flag as you're poking fun at yourself as a Southern redneck or whatever, you know, like there's, there's a whole, and there's a whole spectrum in between there. And, you know, maybe, maybe something beyond like, it's, it's hard to know exactly what a symbol means in a certain context. If you take the time to sit back and actually think that through, Oh, he could have other reasons, but your immediate thought, even as somebody like me who says he tries to, not judge so quickly, you know, my, my immediate thought even now is like, Oh man, that guy's a racist. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, it takes out, takes out any history of my own where I flew the flag and I just see that and I go, God, that guy is really racist, huh? Um, and, and it's stupid, but that's, I mean, that's how we as humans work. you know, I've, I've seen some recent, uh, scientific thought that there's, a concept behind first impressions that really has to do with, you know, well, is that thing going to kill me or not? Uh, back to, you know, old instinctual ways or whatever. Uh, I think, I think there is a certain part of us that just needs to immediately know what that other person is and what they might do. Right. And it's, it's weird uh, how fast we are to judge people. Like when I, when I see someone, this is, this is a totally random and unrelated example, but when I see someone like staring at their phone, I'm like, Oh, look at this idiot playing angry birds for like seven hours a day, you know, which is like, I stare at my phone for hours a day too, you know? And like, sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm doing stupid stuff, but other times I'm reading like New York times articles or like texting my mom, you know, like re- like actual worthwhile, important stuff. But, and I, for some reason I just assume other people are always doing stupid stuff on their phone. I don't know. Yeah, I do that. Uh, you know, I like I see people playing, you know, like Candy Crush. I'm like, oh, man, that is such a waste of your time, which just ignores the, you know, two months that I wasted my time on that game before I finally said, oh, I got to shut this off. This is really addicting. <laughs> another, another, another example. Um, this is a little bit. This is more of a symbol of Southern redneckery. Um, <laughs> there's a podcast I listen to sometimes called Dakota Ring. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's um, Slate, the online magazine puts it out. Yeah, they just do like investigative journalism about like weird quirks of pop culture. Um, and they did like a whole episode on truck nuts once. <laughs> that does give you an immediate image yeah, of that person. Those rubber sure. nuts, that those rubber testicles that people hang on the back of their pickup trucks um which at the same point at, there's a certain part of me that still wants them <laughs> on my own car like well and what she found when she looked into it the host of this podcast um she you know went around and talked to people who have sold them and bought them and that sort of thing is that like 99 percent of the people 
who put them on their truck are doing so in like a self-effacing way, like just poking fun at themselves as like a, you know, haha, I'm a dumb redneck. I don't take myself seriously. Right. This is what truck drivers yeah, do. <laughs> right. But like for a Yankee, you know, or someone who considers themselves too genteel for truck nuts, <laughs> you know, they look at that and say, Oh, look at these dumb rednecks that are completely unself aware and think that putting nuts on their truck makes them a badass. Like, it's just, you know, it's it's just funny how cultural these things are, you know, and how hard it is. To, and how personal right. they can be. And, you, you know, you don't know if someone's making a joke, you don't know if they're making it in earnest or ironically or whatever. It's just, it's, you know, we judge each other fast, I guess, is the, is the point. Um, yeah, well, and so then the next question with that would be, you know, how, how far do you go to make sure people's first impressions of you are right. accurate? You know, do you, do you keep from being yourself uh, just to make sure that nobody misconstrues what you mean? And I think there's a certain amount of that that needs to happen. Uh, you know, obviously I'm a guy who took down his flag because I didn't want people to think I was, you know, racist mm -hmm. in any way. Uh, but at the same time, I make really dumb jokes that people don't understand. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, there's a certain part of me that just says, well, that's just who I am. And you're going to have to look at me quizzically <laughs> until I explain that that's a reference to a really uh, short lived TV show that nobody except for me watched. <laughs> All right. So um, one final question on this, which is how how evangelistic would you say you are about your change in beliefs? Like, is this something you make an effort to to preach at people about putting away the confederate flags or is it just kind of something you keep to yourself uh i would put myself at not very evangelistic um so actually for an example of how how much i want people to know uh you know i actually spent at least a few seconds going do i want to do a podcast with some dude i don't know <laughs> about how at one point I flew a very racist symbol. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that there's a certain level of embarrassment, which is why I put the flag yeah. away. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I use, I use that as an example pretty often when trying to, when trying to basically debate those same concepts we talked about earlier saying, you know, Oh, those kids are so racist. And I'd be like, well, but like, you know, maybe, yeah. or maybe they're just, Maybe they're just being misled in ways that we can't understand, which, of course, is the exact same reason why I like the Confederate flag, because I'm like, well, but maybe those people who weren't the rich landowners were just being misled mm -hmm. and followed it for wrong reasons. Uh, you know, it, bringing things full circle. It's a great storytelling <laughs> technique. Um, I try not to hide the fact that uh, that it happened and that I've changed my my feelings on it. But at the same time, there's a certain part of me that goes, but then I have to admit something about myself that I'm not. Proud sure. of. Um, and so then I try to find, you know, ways to when I do express it, try to find ways to be like, but this is why and you need to know and I'm going to talk to you for a long period of time until you understand that. No, I'm not a racist. I was never a racist, uh, but but I still had this racist symbol in my back pocket that you know, I wanted people to see. Sure. Well, and I think there's an important lesson there about, I mean, for lack of a better word, grace, you know, of like, if you find yourself in a place where you have to, um, you know, talk to someone displaying the symbol about the symbol, you know, you can say like, I understand that you may be displaying this for perfectly innocent reasons, but that being 
said, you might be communicating deeply offensive things to other people, you know? Um, yeah. And so if it was a friend of mine, I could totally see myself doing that. I am not the guy to <laughs> add that confrontation oh, sure. just out sure. in the world. Like I am not, I'm not very good at that. Uh, you know, if somebody's like being, you know, visibly threatened, then maybe I would fight all of my urges to <laughs> run away and get involved. But that's happened like maybe twice in my life. Uh, but like, yeah, if it's some dude just being a jerk out there, I'm not always the guy that would do that. So to that level, I am not evangelistic by any means. I'm not the guy who's being like, Hey, here's what I've Mm -hmm. learned about that symbol you're displaying. Let's talk about it at length. All right. I have, um, three questions that I ask all of my guests, just kind of general philosophical questions. Um, the long-term goal for this thing is to just kind of get at, um, you know, ontology, epistemology, like how do we know ourselves? How do we know truth? Um, what is identity? Do people have an identity? How do you find your identity? How do you know an identity when you see it? What do you think? I think we obviously talked about that mm. to some extent uh, here already. You know, uh, I think there are multiple or at least two pieces to identity that, you know, the one that we define for ourselves and the one that other people, you know, gather, whether it's through that immediate um, judgment or even through ongoing things. And I, I don't know that, I don't know that those two are ever the same. Uh, you know, I, I've been married to my wife for 16 years now, and I'm pretty sure that I still have a very different image of myself than she has of me. Uh, and so that those, those pieces of identity, I think are, are very hard to make the same just because nobody has access to your internal dialogue or internal monologue, I guess. Mine's often a dialogue, but (laughs) That's questionable. <laughs> um, it's one of those things that I think I struggle with personally a lot. Uh, you know, obviously in high school, you spend a lot of time trying to define your identity, but it's a lot of trying to go away from who you really are. And then you get older like me, you know, which I'm not that old, but you know, uh, you get, you get, you get to that point where you're like, you know, I don't really care as much what, how people perceive right. me. Uh, you still, and so you kind of become, well, that dad who wears a fanny <laughs> like your pack. Your 20s are like, who am I? And then you get to your 30s and you're like, oh, it doesn't matter who I am. Like, nobody cares who I am. <laughs> there's still, I think, at least for me, there's still a part of me that wants to fight that fight. Like, I haven't, I haven't gotten to the fanny pack stage yet because I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't want to be that guy. Um, it was actually, I was, it was, there was this oddly lucid lucid moment in the car a couple years back where i just went you know i'm i'm in my mid-30s and uh i have kids and i just really don't care what people think anymore (laughs) and i literally went to the point where i'm like you know i could even wear a fanny pack and then like at as the thought fanny packs went in my head i went no no i do care (laughs) i i very much care i can't do that i care at least enough to wear a fanny pack that is Right. I wore one briefly in the 80s when they you could actually started becoming popular. And even then I was like, you know, this is, I've got a weird pouch. Uh, and I was not in any way fashionable at that point. You know, I was a, had the big Coke bottle glasses, the hand-me-down shirts and not matching shorts. Like, uh, but still I had the fanny pack and I'm like, no, you know, I can't do this. This is not the look that I want people to see me. And so that still holds today. There are at least parts of me that want to at least define how people perceive my identity. Um, and so I, I'm going to argue with my own previous statement. And... <laughs> I will no longer defend the Confederate flag, but I will defend to the death the not wearing a fanny pack. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No. 
that's that's a whole different symbol you know that's a symbol of of i don't know old age my father wore a fanny pack for a while maybe it's just me saying i am not my dad <laughs> which you know at this point when you're when you're you know in the dad fra- phase and you uh realize how much exactly like your dad you are you have to you have to like uh no this is where i'm gonna draw the line <laughs> I will make the exact same dad jokes you made, but fanny packs are just. Nope. <laughs> All right. What is, um, what is human nature? Is there an innate human nature? Are we all the same? Are we all different? Are we all just blank slates? What do you think? I'm really glad you glossed over my lack of answering your previous <laughs> question. Um, I mean, these are hard, these are hard questions, uh, human. you know, I mean, some guests, some guests, some yeah, guests yeah, have given well, me better answers than others, but I just want to keep getting at them, you know? Yeah. No, you, well, and you gave me the worksheet before and I sat there staring at it and I'm like, I, I'm like, <laughs> uh, and, and then on the thing, I'll wing it and it will have absolutely nothing to do with identity. Um, and you know, same thing with human nature. No, uh, I, I guess human nature is kind of it seems like there's a lot of schools of thought about human nature, but they all kind of get at the same thing. You know, the, the Christians have a very, very specific, uh, well, I should say they have a specific, but they obviously all the Christians fight over what those specifics are. Um, That's what we do as to what human nature is. Yeah. Wouldn't be Christianity without the constant infighting. <laughs> anyway, yeah, human nature. So yeah, I mean, we, we have the, the Christians who ultimately think that, you know, humans are by nature sinful. Uh, at least most of them. Uh, we have, you know, a lot of that throughout most of the religion. You look at science, and they take a much more animalistic approach generally. Uh, I th- and I think my personal thought on human nature is not well defined. Probably, uh, you know, I'm somewhere in the middle. I think there's a lot of what defines us as humans that comes from, we'll say, history. So whether you go with the the old Earth evolutionary concept or the young Earth uh, creationism concept, you know, there's a lot of things that we are taught by our parents, whether it is overtly or, uh, just because of the way they act that I think comes down the line that kind of defines who we are and what we do. Uh, and I think you see, you know, especially, especially if you look at the similarities of religions that cropped up in very different areas, um, whether or not you consider any of them to be true, the similarities are impressive Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, and they kind of, I think, define that that there are certain pieces of human nature, you know, the that that are almost instinctual. That maybe not quite fully instinctual, but they, we we respond to things in the same way. Whether you know we're looking at the the Greco-Roman gods or the the I think possibly created by Douglas Adams, uh, God that sneezed everybody out <laughs> of his nose. Uh, either that or a Chinese God. I, don't, I never remember which one is factual or not. Uh, you know, you, you look at these things and, and humans ultimately, you know, whether you want to consider us sinful, we, we mm. screw up a lot. Uh, and I think, I think the real nature, and I got to my point now, this is great. Uh, I think the real nature of humans is that we're always trying to do mm-hmm. better. Uh, and so, you know, uh, Christians a lot of times give us reason to want to be better. You know, oh, we got to please God. Uh, we have to, you know, you know, depending again on the, 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 the denomination, we have to, you know, earn our place in heaven or we just want to make sure that God recognizes that we're happy with him. Um, 
but you know scientifically then you also have just the concept of humans want to improve things we are the the beavers of the world <laughs> we constantly need to change our surroundings and and try to do something more than what currently is there um so what are beavers that if humans are the beavers of the world I, beavers I, I, I was, are... <laughs> I was gonna explain that that's one of those weird comments i make that i probably sh shouldn't do because i need background uh Beavers are like number two in the world for uh, for changing the world that they live in. So like it, you have humans and then you have beavers who have to be like, we're going to change all of this. This is not going to be this is not right. Uh, random fact that I found on the Internet ages ago that may or may not be accurate. But uh, at the very least, somebody out there believes that beavers are the, the only one close to humans and being like, we need to just do something with this um and humans that's 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 what we do you know we we're constantly trying to change things bend bend the earth to our will and uh you know try to change ourselves in a lot of ways uh or others um i think that's probably the actual nature of humans is we we strive to improve hmm. things i don't know if i don't know if the, there's a point to pushing back on that but i do feel like that's kind of a very western <laughs> understanding of humanity like if you look, you can find cultures in the world where people are like, things are what they are. They always have been this way. They always will be this way. We should accept them rather than try to improve them. Uh, there is a certain uh, Zen Zen Buddhist concept that happens out, you know, in certain areas. Or you know, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that instead of going with more examples because obviously you can find little cultures that are hidden that you know maybe maybe they haven't improved things or you could look at uh you know even the Amish that we referenced earlier obviously they're like things were as good as they're going to be uh without evil at you know before 1700 yeah. um so there there are cultures but if you look at what they talk about a lot of that is battling that innate need of humans to hmm. do more okay uh you know so like if you look at the buddhist concepts it is hmm. this mindfulness idea of uh, just stop, yeah. dude. <laughs> well, isn't the impulse isn't the and impulse so I, to improve things battling my own innate need to like sit around on the couch and do nothing? Because I'd much rather do that. So <laughs> it's possible, but then you're you know you're like, but I also want to improve my ability to play whatever a video game example that I can't come up with a more recent one. So uh, I really want to defeat the original Super Mario Brothers for Nintendo finally. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think there's still, I think there's still some peace and maybe it is because of our culture putting it into us, but there's some peace, even if you're sitting down that you're like, well, but I could do, I could do that. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's, maybe that's just my full anxiety coming out where I'm like, well, I, I got to fix everything. <laughs> um, so maybe my human nature is that I need to fix everything. Uh, but I think if you look at humans versus any other creature out there other than beavers <laughs> we're the only ones really going out there and trying to change what the world is sure. all right finally what is truth what is truth how do you know truth is there such a thing as truth how do you find truth what do you think <laughs> uh i am somewhat philosophical in my feelings towards truth and that i don't know that we ever will know truth um and since i know you come from a very christian background i'm, I'm going to be careful <laughs> in how i phrase this uh 
Because obviously the Christians are like, we know the truth. It's different from what those other Christians say, but we know it. Um, you know, I think I think there's a certain ambiguity to what mm. is real uh, and what is, you know, if you want to stick with the the truth of, you know, creation of the spiritual realm and all that. There's, or maybe I should say my feelings towards truth is I don't care. <laughs> um, I can respect that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel like I should explain that, but I'm not even sure how, you know, I, so I want to know the truth of somebody, you know, like if I see somebody with a Confederate flag, there's a part of me that goes, well, I want to know the truth, but that's because there's a part of me that wants to believe that there is a good reason that they have that instead of they are just a hyper racist person, you know, and there's this part of me who hears these terrible things about what people do. And I go, well, but maybe there's something in their background that, that caused that, that really sure they did the horrible thing, but maybe they are hurting and more than likely they are hurting. Uh, and so there's this part of me that, that fears truth. I think I know I'm wrong. <laughs> like on anything I hold to be true, you know, the Confederate flag, obviously being the example here, I, I know I'm going to be wrong and I have been wrong so often that I get to the point where it's like, well, if I can get to the best possible view, somehow logically, emotionally, whatever, that's just going to be my truth until somebody can do it. And truth changes, obviously, and everybody's truth changes at least at some point, whether or not it's on a very small thing. And so I find myself kind of thinking more along the lines of truth is, you know, whatever you see it to be at yeah. that time. And it might not be, it might not be accurate, but it's mm -hmm. truth. I guess I should have asked this sooner. I Have you like left Christianity behind altogether or where are you? No, I haven't. I, I, sorry. I, in a lot, I communicate with a yeah, lot of people sure, of different sure. backgrounds religiously. So I, like, I, yeah. uh, I qualify a lot of my statements that way. Um, I'm, I'm in, I don't know, in between Christianities, <laughs> sure, maybe. Sure. <laughs> um, I've got, I've got yeah. things, but no, I still, I still hesitantly uh, connect myself to the Christian church just because, again, Christianity has, as a symbol, has a lot of, terrible things mm -hmm. attached to it yeah no, i get that and so you know if you tell somebody you're a christian they can immediately go oh well i know what you guys do <laughs> it's it's a hard label to so, hold on yeah. to especially in a post-trump world uh well yeah the <laughs> the conservative side of our nation has definitely taken that label to interesting lengths at least some of them have and so like you see the bad obviously and oh, man we're gonna get right back in the circle again it's gonna be awesome you see the bad attached to Christianity, but then there's also the people who are still doing the good attached to Christianity. You have the people who are going out and, you know, they're, they're building, building schools for people in impoverished areas. You have all the groups of people who are still going, although not nearly, I believe they still need a lot more than they're getting, going down to New Orleans to help mm -hmm. after Katrina. Uh, you know, you have the people who are locally, they're, you know, coming up with cool ways of, helping the homeless by, you know, in our area, there's a few groups right now that create like little goodie bags, basically, you know, with feminine products and deodorant and soap and all these things to make sure that even if they don't have a home, they have ways of taking care of themselves. Um, so there are these really awesome things that Christians can do, but obviously you have one Christian shoot up a church and yeah. everything's ruined, uh, which I mean, it's that same thing though. There, there are, there's good mm -hmm. within the bad. And so again, where do you sit mm -hmm. with that? Now, Christ uh, as a symbol, 
obviously a very good thing. <laughs> um, you know, he's even even non-Christians ultimately go, you know, the Jews are like, yeah, he was a really good guy. <laughs> um, but then, you know, so looking at like the swastika, you know, that at one point was a very good symbol. But if the people, us crazy humans, uh, screw it up, like how long do you hold on to that, mm. that symbol? Not necessarily Christ in this situation, but at least the the term Christianity as a good thing. Yeah. And I think- well, and it seems like it's, it's the, the worst people are always the ones grabbing headlines and getting written down in history books. Right. <laughs> they, yeah. they always will be. They always will be, you know, so even mother Teresa, you know, you're like, well, man, she was super awesome. She's, she became a saint way faster than anybody else, but there's still a party that goes, but well, what was she mm. really doing? Like maybe she was just doing this mm-hmm. for sainthood and her reasons weren't really great. Like there, there's this part of us that because Christianity has so many negative things attached to it over the years, you know, we have, you know, the wars of uh, the whatever, the Holy Grail um, <laughs> words are all gone. The I Crusades. still haven't had enough coffee on Monday. Uh, there you go. The, the Crusades, you know, in, these uh, things were Arthurian legends, but yeah, the Crusades. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, but there was also a piece of that being used as propaganda, supposedly within the Crusades, as a way of saying, "Hey, go fight these wars in the name of Christ, so that I can get more land and people yeah. and stuff." Yeah. Um, you know, and so like, you know, Christianity has a long, long history of mm-hmm. bad, <laughs> um, and so either people have to, you know, you know, find a way to outweigh that bad with a long, long history of good. Um, which there is, um, but it, you have to find a way to make that better and it needs to earn that. And I don't know that, I don't think it's earning that right now. I don't think Christianity as a whole is earning that good title. And it, it's disappointing, just like, you know, I'm like, oh, but I really like the Confederate flag. It looks cool. It's got an X and X's are, you know, very 80s and 90s. <laughs> totally extreme. Um, right. Uh, you know, you can get Mountain Dew and the Confederate flag and Christians, it'll be... I mean, there's a flavor of Mountain Dew for everything else, right? Well, and I, you know, I think I think I just defined a whole segment of people right there too. Uh, probably some Bud Light in there. Uh, I know. I guess you know it's those, it's that same it's same mentality. I think that got me questioning the Confederate flag. Gets me questioning the whole title of Christian because I think I think there's a lot of people who hear that term, and I. I sh- I know people, so I can't say that there's a lot of them, but I know people who instantly bristle when they hear somebody mm-hmm. is a Christian, you know? And so like uh, a couple years ago, it came out that Chris Pratt, the beloved star Lord of guardians of the galaxy, you know, was part of this church. And before you even heard that he was part of a church that was, you know, not really known for great things anyway. Uh, you know, just the, the phrase Christian being attached to his name, people are like, Oh, yeah. I don't like him. <laughs> um, and I don't know, I think that's, I think that's a pretty terrifying judgment on, mm. on that word. Like just the second that you can be like, oh, I like that guy. He was really funny in Parks and Rec and Guardians is amazing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then you're like, oh, but he's, a, oh, he's a Christian. Uh, <laughs> I think that's disappointing at the very least, if not a reason to maybe, you know, find a cool new term. Like, I don't know. There's not a cool new term because then you just become the weird <laughs> radical Christians. And, well, and euphemisms, euphemisms know, never work, right? Every time, every time people come up with a euphemism for something, it only takes a, a generation or so for it to take on the connotations of the previous word, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't yeah. Know. I got nothing. 
Got nothing. Well, Adam, it really has been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you want to plug your books one more time before we uh, before we're done here? I actually. I saw you identify as a writer of adventure novels and I'm supposed to be co-writing an adventure novel right now, which I've probably never done. So I might want to pick your brain about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm always, I'm always available. I have lots of things to say that may not be useful at all as can be told by the last hour and a half of our discussion here. Uh, go, go ahead. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, plugging, I'm also really bad at plugging, but I'm going to try Uh adventure novelist. That's me. Uh, I have, I think, I'm pretty sure. I looked earlier and one book wasn't showing. So I think it's seven books uh, that are currently published. I've got a few that are slowly being worked on um, that are, you know, they, they run the gamut of young adult to adult. Uh, you know, one's about zombies and there's a lot of cursing, but then there's the other one that's obviously uh, more about kids because it's a kid who runs across the country and, you know, fights the government and, yeah. Um, it, so, yeah, I God, I am really bad <laughs> at promoting. Find Adam's novels on Amazon. <laughs> anyway, I just search for Adam Oster. <laughs> find them on Amazon. And I, I guarantee you, I edit myself a little bit better uh, and make my point much quicker. Um, well, maybe not. Uh, at least they're more exciting. They're, it's more exciting of a way to get to my point. Uh, the, the, the Agora Files, which is one of my more popular series, is, you know, three books of basically saying, don't trust anybody. So, you know, um, getting to my point is not necessarily quick, but it's an exciting path to get there. <laughs> I might as well um, plug my project since we're talking about this. Um, and the show is all about yeah, me and how awesome I am. No. Um, so um, <laughs> and if you have anything to say about this, that's that would be great. But um, yeah. Um, Best-selling author K.B. Hoyle, who's a good friend of mine, and I are currently co-writing a novel live on the internet. We're alternating chapters and just building on each other's work improv style. It's a lot of fun. Um, we start, we kick things off with a podcast where we actually drew three genres out of a hat to combine. <laughs> um, so we're writing a we're writing a paranormal pirate adventure coming of age story. Those were the three genres. So. There you go. Well, I mean, that's that's the next series of Pirates of the Caribbean, then, right? There you go. Yeah, I mean, basically, basically. Yeah. So you got you got a good framework already. Just make sure so, he looks like Johnny Depp. And... There you go. Yeah. There you go. That uh, sounds exciting. Where are you guys? Where is this at? I'm gonna make sure I get you on point. Yeah, it's where called. Can we find Pro- it? So it's called Project Co Narrative, and it's just it's Project Co Narrative Um. And yeah, you should be, you'll be able to read the, the whole novel as we write it right there for free. Um, there's a Patreon to support it. So if you, if you throw in a few bucks at the Patreon, you get chapters early, you get access to the podcast and a newsletter and a, a print version of the book when it's done. So it's pretty exciting. I wrote the first chapter, which is up now. She's writing the second chapter right now. It'll be up on the site at the end of the month. Um, or Patreon supporters will get it on well, actually, by the time this podcast goes live, everybody will have access to chapter two. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I do have a question because I've done yeah. a few live writing projects where I'm trying to post things along the way. How do you, And so you're getting into your second chapter here when this is live. So everyone knows that I've read it now. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, how do you go back at, or do you have any intentions, I should say, of going back and changing things in the previous stuff? So if you wrote something, is that just solid 
and you're never going to be able to fix that or yeah like, I, think, I think what we write is pretty much set in stone um which ne- neither of us have ever written a book this way before um but the, the whole point is the whole point is just uh, do it improv style you know so everything is yes and right you right. don't you don't take some something the other one is set and say no wait i'm going to change that you just say yes and you go forward from there um yeah when we publish the print version of the book at the end of this which will probably be sometime next year or maybe early the year after i don't know um i do think we are going to go back and edit somewhat to make sure it works you know um but yeah, we're she's she's kind of keeping a Bible of like you know like Bible in the writing sense of like here's a record of what our characters' names are, what they do, what's what's happened so far. Um, right. So we are trying to maintain internal consistency, but we're not going to go back and change anything. I don't think so. It's it's an experiment, really. None, neither one of us have ever has ever done something like this. So we're just uh, seeing it, where it goes. It can be fun, and I obviously doing it with somebody else can be scary. But uh, I always find myself you know, when I'm doing that, because I do it by myself a couple of times I've done it. Uh, I'm like, oh, man, now that I've thought of this piece that I'm putting in here, that would be a really awesome thing to foreshadow back five right. chapters ago. And so then I'm like, oh, well, I won't do it. And so then I can't make my writing seem as cool. Uh, yeah, at least in my well, mind. I mean, that's the benefit. Of, that's the benefit of the drafting process, right? Is right. It usually takes you two or three drafts to figure out what this story is really about and what's really happening and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, improv can be fun too. Um, yeah, totally. Well, good luck with that. I'm, uh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Thank it's you. Intriguing. And I will take a look at your books as well. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you. All right. This has been changed my mind with Luke T. Harrington. Um, if you want to drop me a line, you can find me at LukeTHarrington.com or just find me on Twitter at LukeTHarrington. Thanks for tuning in and I will see you next time. I've been listening uh, some lately to the podcast Chapo Trap House. Um, I'm far from an expert. I've only listened to a couple of episodes, but uh, I have been enjoying it some. Um, What Chapo Trap House is, if you're unfamiliar, is it is a humor and commentary podcast from some self-styled members of the uh, quote-unquote dirtbag left. Um, And what the dirtbag left is, um, if you want the two-second summary, is that it's... um, basically a working class take on leftism one that eschews quote-unquote political correctness um, in favor of what you might call classical marxism um revolution of the proletariat uh, against the bourgeoisie or whatever um so in other words, it's a podcast of people who have very little time for uh, what's pejoratively called identity politics, um, and mainly just view it as a distraction from real progress towards proletariat revolution or whatever. Um, on one of the uh, more recent episodes, they were talking about the uh, Joker movie. 
um, directed by Todd Phillips and starring Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. I'm sure you've heard of it. It currently became the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. Not that highest grossing really means anything because they keep jacking up ticket prices. Anyway, um, it's a big hit. Um, and it's be- it's become a big enough hit that maybe you don't even remember the media narrative surrounding it when it came out. Um which was that this is a movie that's going to spur angry racists to violence, right? Now, regardless of whether you thought the mainstream media had a point about that, it's um, pretty clear at this point that they were wrong, (laughs) that there's been no violence associated with the Joker movie, which I guess isn't to say there couldn't have been, but whatever the fact remains that there hasn't been um one of the guys on uh on chapo trap house um and again i just started listening to the podcast so i don't know anybody's name on that show yet but um what he said was that the problem is that no one in the cultural elite which includes most people in the media has any real categories for genuine white male alienation, um, which is what the Joker really is a symbol of, at least in many contexts. That the narrative from quote-unquote liberals, um, which means in the context of a true leftist podcast like Chapo Trap House, it means anyone center-left or whatever. um, The narrative from them is that if you are a poor white male and you feel alienated and you are not okay with this, you are just a Nazi. Um, Now, I don't know if that's quite true. I mean, obviously he was exaggerating for effect and for laughs, um, but I think he did have a point. Um, And among other things, it wouldn't be wrong to say that among the elite, what passes for quote-unquote anti-racism is often just disdain for people who are perceived to be racists, which means anyone who's white and poor and possibly, but not necessarily, from the South. We're pretty good in America at talking about racism, putting that all out in the open, Now, obviously, we got a long way to go, but we're better than a lot of countries at that. What we're not very good at is talking about classism, um, which I think is ultimately what the Joker really is about. Um, I saw the Joker. It was fine. I didn't hate it, uh, which probably speaks well to it since I usually hate comic book movies. Um, But I do think that it bears saying that when certain groups of people are treated with unearned disdain um, and they are aware (laughs) that there's nothing they can do to get out from under that disdain, oftentimes they will lean into what they are disdained for. Um, I have a degree in uh, film studies Um, from the University of Nebraska. I've spent a little bit of time um, studying and writing about black exploitation cinema, um, which, if you're unfamiliar, was a genre of cinema 
that became popular in the 1970s and actually was hugely influential on a lot of modern respected directors like uh, Spike Lee and Quentin Tarantino, to name a couple. Um, black exploitation obviously is short for black exploitation movies, and what black exploitation was by and large was a genre of cinema that that uh, leaned heavily into its R rating to show a lot of violence and nudity, and that's and that's where um, exploitation, the word, comes from. Um, but it was aimed particularly at a black audience, and for the most part, it did not portray what you might consider a respectable image of black people nearly all the all the characters tended to be gangsters and pimps and prostitutes um and by and large they were all pretty terrible people um some of the more uh, famous examples of black exploitation are like sweet sweet packs badass song shaft foxy brown those kinds of movies now, if you're a quote-unquote respectable white person, you would living in the '70s, you would look at black exploitation and say, "Well, black people came so far in the last decade or two. They were marching in suits and singing hymns, and now they're leaning into this. Now they're portraying themselves as criminals." Um, and the answer, of course, is that after a decade or more of the civil rights movement actually more like two in the mid-70s after a couple of decades of that the black community came around to the realization that no matter how much they chased respectability white people were still going to insist they were just all a bunch of sex crazed criminals um and so they leaned into it um and you see a similar phenomenon for example with gangster rap in the 90s uh, if you're just going to think of us this way, then why should we try to be anything else? Um, and you do see a parallel phenomenon among poor and especially Southern whites of, I'm a poor white person. Everybody thinks I'm racist. Why should I even fight it? And I think that explains at least part of the enduring popularity of symbols like the confederate flag right like if you're going to think of me as a redneck no matter what i do why should i try to be anything else um there are what i would call two parallel arguments from the left and from the right and i think it's rarely acknowledged <laughs> how similar they are um but on the left you have the what's the matter with kansas question and on the right, it's usually phrased more along the lines of, what do you have to lose? What's the Matter with Kansas, which was um, actually the title of a book a while ago, um, is the question of like all these poor white people living in the South and the Midwest, they would be so much better off under democratic policies. Um, so why do they insist on voting Republican? Why do they vote against their own economic interests um and then the the argument from the right the what do they have to lose argument which um donald trump phrase uh phrase very explicitly in his 2016 campaign is hey poor black community you've been voting straight democrat for a generation now 
nothing's gotten better. In fact, things have probably gotten worse in a lot of ways for you. Why don't you give Republicans a shot? What do you have to lose? Now, I think these two questions are rarely, if ever, asked in good faith. Um, But assuming someone really wants to know the answer, I think the answer is pretty obvious, which is if you're a poor white person or if you're a poor black person and you're at the ballot box, it's a two-party system. And your choice is A, the party that takes my vote for granted, and B, the party that talks to me like I'm subhuman. And given that choice, it's not a hard choice to make. I think the parties that we have have realized that there is much more hay to be made by ginning up hatred for poor black people if you're a Republican or ginning up hatred for poor white people if you're a Democrat than there is to actively seek crossover in voting from those two blocks. And yeah, I do think that that is the main reason those questions do get asked um, when Donald Trump says, hey, black people, the Democrats haven't done anything for you. Your cities are just crime infested hellholes. I mean, he's not talking to black people and we know he's not. He's talking to white racists and in the hopes that they'll say yes, black people are all criminals and vote for him. And the same thing is true with what's the matter with Kansas. I think Democrats know that by talking down to people who are perceived as backward, they can gin up support among people who want to be perceived as not backward. And I don't know if there's a real point to any of that, except that our current political system has gotten really good at exploiting racism and really good at exploiting classism. And as long as we continue to let them do it, nothing's ever going to get better. And that's it for this week. Um, I want to thank Adam Oster for being on the show. He was a great guest. Um, Please check out his books on Amazon. I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Please do um, check out their other podcasts, The Commentarians and Faith and Other Oddities. If you're enjoying the show, please tell a friend. If you're not enjoying the show, please tell an enemy. Um, If you want to give my show a boost, take a second to give it a rating or a review on iTunes. Those things are the best. Um, Visit me at LukeTHarrington.com or find me on Twitter at LukeTHarrington. Thank you for listening to Change My Mind. And don't be afraid to change your mind. (laughs) 